First Kings chapter five, I think is what I want. Uh, verse nine. Yeah. Um, anyway, I suppose if I asked, um, put up their hands, people that come along because in life they just going through life and they think, well, what's life all about? Go to school and pass and exams, and you get a job and and then you meet somebody, a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and then you move out from home and get married and you set up a family of your own and have children and and uh, the cycle keeps going, what's life all about? It doesn't seem to matter whether people have got a lot or little. This is a burning question, the age-old question, what is life all about? And a number of people here in the testimonies have said that. They came along and they thought, well, what is life all about? So they come to check it out. Sister Anthony said in a testimony, Brother Nick was looking for something. And so it is with many people. And what are we looking for? I was listening early this morning to Australia All Over on the radio. And this woman, I don't know whether she still lives in Gawler or not, but she apparently spent some time in Gawler and she's talking about floods up there and all. This woman is 103 years of age. She plays Scrabble every Friday. Still got her marbles to be able to work out how to play Scrabble. Is that success, to get to 103 and still be able to play Scrabble and enjoy it? Another woman rang in and she was 93 years of age. And she said, um, I play 18 holes of golf twice a week. And she's 93. Is that what life's all about? Is that success? You get to 93, you can still play 36 holes of golf in a week. Well, what's the aim? Do you be able to do that when you're 103? Or what's life all about? And so I guess in my life, as I've mentioned before, I've come to this uh, situation 15 months ago in my, in my life when the doctors come along and say, well, you've got an advanced and aggressive cancer. You know, what's life all about? What is life? How long do you want to live? What is sufficient? 67, 77, 87, 97, 100. What is it? What's life all about? When can you measure and say that's sufficient? Sort of notice in the paper about um, people passing. And during this week, a woman, Rebecca Wilson, 54-year-old woman, died of breast cancer. Her husband was the chief of News Corporation Australia. Got the teenage sons and very well-renowned sports journalist and 54 and she's gone. They said people were shocked because she didn't let on too much about it. She said um, she didn't let her friends know really and had a very private battle with her cancer because she wanted to listen, uh, limit the suffering for her friends. And um, I just praise the Lord. I've been able to share a little bit of my journey with you and with my friends and I don't I, I, I trust that uh, this journey is not uh, causing you suffering, but rather joy as we see we carry on and we just look to the Lord every day and we take our victories. And I had to go and have some, uh, see the doctor last three weeks, two and a half weeks ago, and, and he was all excited because the PSA levels had stabilised and it's been coming down from in June when I was on 110, and July 89, August 59, September 39, and then... Uh, Two weeks ago, it was on 40. So he said, that's wonderful. It's just stabilised at that level there. 
And so what the future holds, I don't know. As I've mentioned, I don't know what my tomorrow brings, except that Jesus is in my tomorrows. And all the people say, Amen. So we're on the, all of us on this journey together, a number here with different difficulties that we're just coping with and carrying on. But all around, the week before Max Walker was a famous Australian cricketer, played 90-odd games for Melbourne Football Club, and um, Tangles Walker, uh, quite um, great a success as a cricketer. He died at 68 of cancer. And uh, people said they were shocked. They didn't know that he was even sick. And just got out, out like a light, just gone. Last week, I think, um, Dave Flanagan, an Adelaide man who's uh, world-renowned as a, as a top comedian, he died of cancer, age 68. A few weeks ago, one of the partners in the accountancy firm I was involved with died, uh, age 68. What is life all about? And where is the... Where is the, uh, the, the limit? What is the aim? Where are we going to? You know, we don't know about tomorrow. Just live from day to day. Hallelujah. Yesterday was, was 56 years since I took my wife out on our first date. Hallelujah. You start on a journey and here we are. Another 56 would be a few, managed to, a few many to, uh, to manage, wouldn't it? But anyway, hallelujah. Pastor William would have been, uh, well, the 10th of October he was baptised, would have been today, uh, on the Sunday, just 12 years, starting on a journey over there in Bali and uh, the amazing things that are happening. He's only just in the Lord uh, 12 years. Before that, uh, he was uh, looking to make his way in the world and make, make success of his life. What is life all about? Where, how do you measure what is success for you? What are you after? In 1 Kings chapter um, uh, 9, verse 1, it came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord, Solomon, uh, King David's son, and the king's house and all Solomon's desire which he was pleased to do, that verse 3, the Lord said unto him, I've heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me. I've hallowed or blessed this house which you have built to put my name there forever and my eyes and my my heart shall be there perpetually. And if you walk, if you will walk before me as David your father walked in integrity of heart and uprightness and do according to all that I've commanded thee and will keep my statutes and my judgments then I will establish the throne of the kingdom upon Israel forever, as I promised to David your father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. A prophecy we could talk about there, about the throne of David, and that's not what we're on about at the moment. But here we find that that um, he had a genuine heart for God, Solomon. But the wheels fell off. Verse 6. He says, but if you shall at all turn from following me, you and your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I've set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I've given thee. 
and this house which I have hallowed for my name will I cast out of my sight, and Israel shall be a proverb and a byword amongst all the people, and this is a house which is high. Everyone that passes by it shall be astonished and shall hiss, and they shall say, Why has the Lord done thus in this, uh, under this land, under this house? And they shall answer. That's why the world fell off. Answer, because they forsook the Lord their God who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt and have taken hold upon other gods and have worshipped them and served them, therefore hath the Lord brought upon them all this evil. So Solomon started off with a genuine heart and the Lord was able to bless him and use him and build uh, the temple. But then he was careless with his worship. Careless with his worship. He wasn't focused on his prayer and maintaining the testimony he started out um, upon. And in the end, well, lost everything. And we see all the, all, the, all the lamentations in the book of Ecclesiastes. What is life? What is it all about? As uh, I guess was the question of, the, of King Solomon there. What is it all about? And maybe... Maybe it's just for us to have a genuine heart like we have now, to walk with the Lord day by day, to continue on and be determined that no matter what comes, we're going to serve the Lord. I was talking with Pastor Godfrey um, a few days ago and, and Pastor John Pullman yesterday, he rang me, he just come back from Fiji. And Pastor Godfrey went to Fiji for the rally um, six weeks ago, I suppose, six to seven weeks ago. And... Um, um, he went to Suva. Not sure whether Pete and Kerry were there at the time when Pastor John was there. No. Went to Suva, the capital city. In the last six weeks in Suva, they have had, well, last Sunday Pastor John was there. They had a combined meeting between Suva and Nasori, which is like sort of Adelaide and Elizabeth close by, pretty much one assembly, the two meeting places. Had a combined meeting. They had 300 people at the meeting. In the last six weeks, they've had 90 baptisms. 90. Since Pastor Godfrey was there six weeks ago. Stirred them up. Telling them to be focused. Don't let your, um, your, um, your worship for the Lord, don't be careless with it at all. Pastor Godfrey had been disappointed in Papua New Guinea. Pastor Graham and I were back there in 2009. And there were four of the uh, the senior pastors there. And they got a bit nose in the air. They got a bit proud. And they all left. All left the fellowship. I was there with Pastor William in 2010 when we appointed 10 new pastors. And, and things are going very, very well there. But these other men that were senior men there made shipwreck of their faith. They knew all about it. They're going to start their own church. They weren't going to be submissive to what Pastor Godfrey was, uh, the blessing that the Lord was bringing in Pastor Godfrey's life, and they're going to do it their own way. And they've all lost the whole, the four of them, just doing nothing now at the moment at all. It's just so sad. Now, none of us claim to be full of all wisdom, a fount of knowledge and wisdom. We just do what we can, day by day, whether it be Pastor Godfrey, whether it be you or I. We just look to do what we can day by day, and we look for the Lord to give us wisdom so that we might have a genuine heart for the Lord and not be careless with our worship. Because if we are, things will fall apart. 
And we'll be like these other people that I just mentioned, three of them at the age of 68 and one at 54. Life is all over with no hope. We've got every hope, and all the people say. Amen. Wonderful, wonderful hope that we have in the Lord. You just walk with the Lord, and one day it'll be all over, but so what? Hallelujah. We look forward to that day. In the meantime, the Lord gives us wonderful fellowship, blessings. He gives us an insight into his word. He gives us brothers and sisters around to uh, to keep us on the straight and narrow, to uh, to support us, to encourage us, and to help us along the way. And just think about Solomon and about how when the Lord says, give me what you want, what is it that you want? And he said, I'd like to have understanding. I'd like to have mercy in my life. He asked for understanding to be able to judge the people righteously. He wasn't asking for victory in battles. He wasn't asking for riches and long life. Just looking for understanding to be able to judge the people. And I guess that's our desire all the time. We might have an understanding so that we can be helpful to those people that are lost and their lives are disaster at a relatively young age. And they pass on and they have no hope. Not like us at all. Second Chronicles 15, <clears throat> verse uh, 2. In verse 1, the Spirit of God came upon Azariah and he sent him out to meet Asa, the king going out to meet the prophet of God. Went out to meet Asa and he said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you be with him, and if you seek him, he will be found of you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. That's, that's fair enough. You walk with the Lord, and he'll be um, uh, your friend. Everything will be okay. But if you turn away, don't expect the Lord to bless you anymore. If you think you can do it all yourself, well, do it yourself. Well, he says, you're on your own now. If you want my blessing, you must, um, you must walk with me. You must seek his face. You must not be careless with your worship. None of us pray enough. None of us read our Bibles enough. We don't say these things to put anybody under condemnation. It includes every one of us that our hearts desire that we should know more about the Word of God. The perception of the world is that God is all-merciful and all-forgiving. And so he is, yes. But God is... So forgiving that he, he sent his, Pastor Graham read, his only begotten son of this world. Whoever should believe on him should not die, but have everlasting life. And people just, uh, take hold of that and they, they stretch it out and they take advantage and they, uh, they stretch the scripture to mean more than what, um, what it actually does say. He says he's with you while you be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. And so when we have a bit of a crunch time in our life, uh, we really do start to seek the Lord. I'm not saying that when things are going well that we don't seek the Lord, but every one of us that's come against a bit of a hurdle in our life have found another dimension in our 
discussion and our relationship with our Lord and Saviour. The quiet times at night time when the lights are out and it's dark, it's just you and the Lord. The day the time when you're out, whatever you're doing, you're just talking to the Lord. We seek him. We just want the Lord, we want to feel the presence of the Lord with us all the time. And if we do, well, um, you'll find the Lord, you'll be close to him. Romans 11, verse 22, he says, Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God. On them which fell, severity. But towards thee, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you shall also be cut off. He said that's what happened to, uh, to Solomon. He had a genuine heart and things were going okay for a while, but careless in his worship and um, near enough is good enough and uh, making allowances and excuses for, for uh, slackness. And in the end, we see what happened to Solomon. And Romans there, Paul is saying, well, it's two-handed. Of course there's the goodness of God. and He's all merciful and all forgiving. On the other hand, there is the severity of God too upon those that fell, those that decided they didn't really need to trust in the Lord 100% of all of their life every day. First John 2, Pastor Graham read it. First Epistle of John 2. Verse, uh, verse 1, my little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. So all the encouragement of the scriptures to make sure that we're staying focused and we're not being distracted. At this very moment, is our mind focused on the word of God or is it uh, making preparations about what we want to get up to tomorrow or later on tonight? Well, when we've done our time and we've been to the meetings this afternoon and tonight and, and in a position to let our hair down tonight or something like that. That you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So Jesus Christ is our saviour. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about, about being a judge. But here it says he's the advocate as well. So we can't lose. Here we've got Jesus Christ as our advocate. He's speaking up for us. You look at the uh, the television shows and the judges there and the prosecutor and the defence uh, counsel and so on, and they're, they're trying to make their case. And um, and we're being criticised for whatever. We've got a, got a lawyer to speak for us as our advocate because they can speak better and they're more comfortable in the court of law than uh, than we are. It says here that Jesus Christ is our advocate and he's Jesus Christ, the righteous. The judgment of God is righteous. Let's go back to Psalm 72, verse 1. Give the king thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness under the king's son. So David for his son Solomon, who's going to be the king and the ruler and the judge and and uh, David saying, you know, he wanted his son to be a good judge. He shall judge your people with righteousness and your poor with judgment. To judge. Another translations talk about here, to judge like an umpire. It means to strive at law. 
where the lawyers are trying to find a loophole or a means to get their client off. I don't know sometimes about barristers and they're paid to argue for their client regardless of whether they believe the client's innocent or guilty. They don't want to know. They just want to make an argument to try to get their client off. That's success to get them off. And they dare not ask whether the person did the crime or not because if the person says, yes, I did it, well, then they've got to, um, they've got to give up their brief and $1,000 a day or whatever their fees are. Um, so they don't want to know whether their client's guilty or innocent. They, um, they just want to try to get their client off. That's their job, to argue black's white um, and get away with it if they can. But our judge is not like that. To judge as an umpire, to strive at law, or to plead the cause, it means. Maybe we need somebody to plead our cause. Hey, we want to live forever. We want to go into the king's presence for eternity, to be there amongst the heavenly host and to worship the Lord night and day forever and ever and ever. We want to get there. We need somebody to plead our cause. Do you think you can put a good enough case to say, hey, Lord, you've got to let me in because of this, this, and this? If you can find somebody that understands how this court process works, an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, well, far better to uh, have him on our side arguing for us than trying to do it ourselves. And that's what we're doing every Sunday when we come in. We take the bread and we take the cup and reminding ourselves that Jesus died for us. He is the judge. And so just think about judges and judging. We, um, we find more and more as we get older, judges in, in uh, tennis, in football, in cricket, in motor races, in all major sports, the judges um, and how they're judging these days, how different to what it was not so long ago before they had Cameras. You can't have a game without an umpire. You might have a field full of players. Doesn't matter whether you've got a, a grandstand full of people if there's nobody there. Doesn't matter whether there's millions of people watching television or whether the television set's turned off. There can still be a game if there is an umpire. Without the umpire, there is no game at all. And we need an umpire, somebody who's going to speak up for us and say, yes, this one qualifies for eternal life. All these sports people and there's dozens of high-powered cameras on the players and the arena and the crowds and amazing what they're able to do at all times. See, the tennis players come in. And they built the ball back and forth, up and down. I don't know if you've ever seen tennis close up, but uh, I was at the Rod Labor Arena once uh, in the outside courts, and you can get sort of from here to Pastor Graham away from the people playing tennis. I don't know how they can even see the ball, let alone get to it to hit it. The amazing speed that they up and down and so on. And um, and somebody sit a little perch up there looking to see where that ball went in or out. I don't know how they can see it. riding on the decision of the umpire. Millions of dollars for the winners. And so they, was that in or appeal 
appeal, so review, and they go to the um, go to the um, Hawkeye, whatever they call it, and you see the ball come down, all the crowds clapping, and the ball comes down, and and uh, and it just skims the side of the white line, or it just misses it. One millimetre in, one millimetre out. It's in or it's out. Maybe impossible to see it with a naked eye. But the judge, the umpire, has got this mechanism now to be able to figure out whether it was in or it was out. Now, talk about precision. Footy commentator just retired. What did he, centimetre perfect? Was that his famous saying? Kick the ball and centimetre perfect. Well, the tennis players in millimetre perfect. It's in or it's out by millimetre. And you win or you lose by millimetre. When we come to talk about eternal life, people think, oh, well, near enough is good enough. It doesn't really matter. We must have the umpires. The cricket, they've got the two umpires on the field, they've got the third umpire up there, and they have a review to work out whether the ball was uh, LBW is going to hit the stumps or whether it's pitched outside a leg or it's going to rise higher than the stumps, and, and so it goes on, whether he's too far down the pitch, and all these things happening in a split second. And some guy's there with his hands behind his back, some old codger, and he's leaning over. A lot of them are pretty solid guys, aren't they? No wonder they lean over all the time. And they've got to watch this ball for five days in a row and see whether it was in it was out. and whether it's Amazing. But they've got an umpire now and a television cam to figure out whether it was right or not, whether the ball actually went over the boundary or whether it bounced just before it hit the boundary, whether it was a catch, whether the guy caught it before it hit the ground or whether he... It was a bump ball or whether he's, he's just got a, his fingers touching the ball as the ball hit the ground or he's got his fingers under the ball as the ball almost hit the ground. But the decision is yeah, millimetre perfect. And it comes to eternal life and people take uh, liberties with what they will allow themselves to do. It seems to me that when we're talking about the God that created the heavens and the earth and everything is precise, precision, scrupulous in observing the rules. doesn't matter how good a shot it might have been. doesn't matter how remarkable it might have been for the guy to race from one side of the, the, field, the tennis court to the other and somehow get a record on the ball and swipe it back. If it's a millimetre out, it's out. Despite the effort made and how amazing it might have been if it's out, it's out. We're talking about eternal life, to be in or out. What is life all about? It seems to me that our relationship with God is something for us to be pretty careful about when we look at these uh, these uh, natural examples. <coughs> the, uh, the the football, you know, the, was it touched before the line or over the line? The ball's got to go co- completely over the line. If the guy gets a finger on it before it goes over the line, well, it's a touch point. It's not a goal at all. And the ball was kicked from 50 metres out and somebody kicked it. He put up his hands and, and so they're analysing to milliseconds whether the guy's finger went back a little bit. Did the ball graze his fingernail as it went past? And whether the game was won or lost maybe depends upon that millimetre, whether it went in or out. When it comes to eternal life, <laughs> near enough is good enough. Don't let us take liberties with our salvation. I think that near enough is good enough. 
if you're determined to walk with the Lord and to serve him, there's great blessing in it, folks. Wonderful blessings. And then when you do have a bit of a crunch situation, maybe you've, um, you've, you've practiced a bit at uh, really looking to the Lord in sincerity and in truth. You don't need too many cameras to, um, to, um, uh, for a photo finish of a marathon, do you? By the time the people get to the end of 42 kilometres, there's, there's more than a split second between them. <laughs> a number of laps of the oval sort of thing. And so we want to make sure that as we walk on our walk in the Lord, year after year after year, that whether we're in or out is not a decision to be made by a millimetre. We don't want to be that close to missing out. We want to make sure that we're in the centre of the sheep, sheepfold. Praise the Lord. Surround ourselves with brothers and sisters that can be encouraging to us. And let us uh, see that we're able to do more than perhaps we have. What was it on the, on the quiz shows on the radio? Um, the judge's decision is final. No correspondence shall be entered into. Once the decision is made, that's it. You can't plead the case anymore. In or out. People think, oh, well, everybody qualifies for heaven just by dying. And we know it's not like that at all. That's why it tells in 2 Corinthians 5, knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. We try to get people to be serious about their relationship uh, with their maker. Psalm 72, verse um, 17. His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. So uh, the amazing things are the premise of the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth, one that saves our souls. Make sure that we're, as far as possible, right in the centre of the sheepfold. And the next verse says, um, um, verse 20, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. So this is the end of the writings here of King David, pleadings for his son Solomon. And uh, Solomon was okay for a while, had a genuine heart, but in the end he was careless with his worship and he missed out. Let's make sure that can't be um, um, sheeted home to us, that we were nearly there, we missed out. Not at all. Just finish up in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 9, 27. That's what I want, verse 27. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. And so no matter that many might miss out, you and I are going to make it. We're going to do all that's humanly possible to make sure that we make it. And that's why we're here at this meeting. That's why we had our fellowship between the meetings. We come back for the second meeting to do what we can to build up and, and to solidify here and to establish more and more our relationship with the Lord so that we're not just scraping in to the kingdom of heaven. You know, it says, if the righteous scarcely be saved, where will the sinner and the ungodly appear? 
A lot of people that are sinners and ungodly, but they think, oh, well, I'm going to be okay. The righteous scarcely be saved. Well, if we're filled with the Spirit, we're not just on the, on the perimeter. We're right in the middle. But for us to receive the Holy Spirit is something which is uh, uh, maybe not an easy thing. It is easy, but maybe it's not easy. Remember one, one brother was seeking for the Holy Spirit for 12 months and down at Karakalinga one day, knock on the caravan door about midday and he burst into the caravan. He said, that happened, happened. I said, what, what? He said, I just received the Holy Spirit. During the morning meeting, he went with one of the other brothers up the creek bed, right up the top of the creek. He just sat up there on a tree trunk and just prayed and he spoke in tongues. He said, it was so easy. Why didn't it happen to me before? And he was hardly contain himself. When it happened, it happened. Suddenly, praise the Lord. That's what happened to me. Seeking for quite some time. When it happened, it happened suddenly. Hallelujah. And there's no looking back. Verse 28. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. This earth is not going to go on forever. Maybe the lady can at 93 years of age play 18 holes of golf a week. Don't know how much longer she's going to be able to do that. Don't know how much of an effort it is for her. Probably she can't do it for another 10 years. But if she can, so what? Do it for another 10 years after that? The old age burning question, what is life all about? To seek the face of our Saviour and make peace with him so that when the trumpet sounds, da-da-da, Sir, ready and waiting, ready to go. Hebrews 9 verse 27, that's what I was after. It pointed unto men once to die and after that the judgment. Only once we have to die, only once. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look to him he shall, shall he appear the second time without sin under salvation. And uh, that's why we're here with communion today, taking the bread and the cup and he's going to come back again but Next time he won't come here to see us as sinners, he'll come to see us as saints. But in Hebrews 12 verse 14, follow peace, pursue, seek, really strive for it, with uh, peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Now, a lot of things, that one of my favourite verses in the Bible actually, a lot of people if you ask, uh, what are the two things you need to see the Lord? And oh, many answers could come. You need to be baptized. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be led by the Holy Spirit. You need to be this, you need to be that, and so on. But here there's two things. If you haven't got them, you won't see the Lord. Follow, pursue, like hunt, to get your quarry, your prey. Follow after peace with all men and holiness. Because if you haven't got peace, and holiness in your life. Without that, no man shall see the Lord. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? So we look to ourselves tonight. Have we have I got peace in my life? Have we got the peace that passes understanding? If it's not quite there yet, it can be. And why not tonight? All the people say. Amen. <laughs> 